Well, good morning. Good to uh, be with you today. Let me bring you the greetings of your brothers and sisters in Christ over at uh, Calderwood Baptist Church in East Cobride. And uh, I must confess, I long, as uh, Nathan was saying, uh, for that day when we can uh, come closer together, uh, one metre apart. Uh, won't be long until we're uh, back where we should be. Uh, but uh, praising God with our voices, declaring his praise uh, with our tongue, with our lips, with our voices. And uh, we're not that far away uh, from that, and we look forward to it. I must confess, I did think it would be a good idea as chaplain of Clyde Football Club and Jonathan as chaplain of Hamilton, if we just played a wee game of football here. Uh, that might just have given us dispensation and uh, we could have sang and praised God and the only thing about that, I would have finished enough in each draw, guarantee it, but uh, well, there we go. But it is good, uh, it is good to be here. For those of you who have had a little holiday, trust that that's been a time of refreshing, a time of renewal. For those of you uh, who have still to go on a little holiday, uh, like myself, I stopped today for two weeks and I must confess I'm ready. Uh, just for a time of refreshing and a time of renewal. But that's something that we get uh, week by week as we gather together as the people of God. A time of refreshing, a time of renewal, a time in which God speaks in the gathering of his body, of his people, a time in which he speaks in the fellowship that we share with one another as we think about a series called What is Church? A time in which he speaks in the prayers that we offer up for one another. A time in which he speaks as we open up God's word and we seek to listen and to hear and to respond to all that God would say. And uh, it was a joy for me just uh, to listen to my dear brother Craig Dyer uh, preaching last Sunday what a feast you were given uh, out of that early part of Acts and uh, he's a precious friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And uh, it was just wonderful to hear uh, God's word just been unfolded and unpacked. And yet the reality is that the Spirit of God is always present on the preacher and on the people. And God is doing his work in applying his word into our hearts and into our lives. So turn with me, if you will, to uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter uh, 22, and uh, we're going to be uh, looking uh, today at uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, and I'm going to pick up the reading uh, at verse 14. We're thinking today about the, uh, the nature, the meaning, uh, the purpose of the Lord's Supper, and uh, there in Luke's Gospel at chapter 22 and verse 14, we read these words. This is the word of the Lord. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine 
until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Amen. Let's just pray together as we ask God to speak into our hearts and lives. Our gracious Father, we thank you, we rejoice with the whole family of your people in the incredible revelation of who you are in the pages of Holy Scripture. We thank you, Lord God, that our children and families will be taking time to look at what is the Bible. And we thank you, Lord God, for uh, that wonderful uh, little exhortation we've had this morning that the whole of Scripture points to Jesus, leads us to the Messiah, to the Savior, to God in Christ, reconciling the world to yourself. Our gracious Father, we pray this day that as we look into your word, you would speak and that we, your people, would be receptive, that we would be responsive, that we would take your word and apply it to our hearts and to our lives, that we might honor and glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we think for a little moment this morning about the the Lord's Supper, and uh, we do that in the context of this series that we're thinking about what is the church. We're thinking about what it is to to be the people of God, what it is to be the worshipping, witnessing, God-glorifying people of God. And they were thinking particularly this morning uh, about the Lord's Supper. And it's fitting uh, and biblically appropriate uh, that in actual fact as part of thinking about the Lord's Supper, we'll also participate in the Lord's Supper and we'll share in the bread and in the wine together. Our Lord Jesus Christ uh, instituted, uh, initiated uh, two ordinances or two sacraments in the life of the church that are always there. One, uh, of course, is baptism, and the other is the Lord's Supper. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ who gave us uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper and said that these things should be observed in the life of the body of Christ, in the life of the church of Jesus. Now, of course, baptism... Uh, is something that we ought only to observe once. Uh, We ought only to observe that at the beginning of our Christian life. We don't need many baptisms. In actual fact, uh, we should ought only to observe that once. Uh, And of course, that opens up a whole subject. And some people uh, baptized as infants, but not 
uh, in a Christian context, then got rebaptized. If you want to read about that in church history, you'll discover the Anabaptists and all manner of different things. But the reality is baptism is really just something that we ought to observe once in terms of uh, the beginning of our Christian life. But the Lord's Supper is something that we should observe many, many, many times in the course of our Christian life, in the course of our Christian living. It is something that in actual fact we should repeat over and over again. And we should do that because the context for the Lord's Supper is in the gathering of the body of Christ. And none of us ought to live our Christian lives independent of one another. Because although God called you in Christ to himself, he also called you to be part of the body of Christ, his church. So no one is a maverick Christian. No one is out there living the Christian life on their own. All of us are placed within uh, the body of Christ. And so repeatedly uh, in the course of of, uh, our Christian walk and our Christian living, uh, we would be those uh, who would observe the Lord's Supper. Now, we have many, many names uh, for the Lord's Supper, don't we? We call it communion, we call it the Lord's Supper, uh, we call it coming to the table, and some uh, churches they will call it the Eucharist, uh, we will call it an ordinance, we will call it uh, a sacrament. That little word sacrament, in actual fact, is a very precious and very powerful word because the word sacrament is really uh, taking a pledge. It is taking a pledge to be absolutely and utterly devoted to one person alone. Now think about that in the Lord's Supper. When we talk about it as a sacrament, and every time we eat and drink the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're saying, I belong to Jesus alone, exclusively. To no one else. I belong to Jesus alone. And even those of us that the Lord has blessed us with spouses and with children, we belong first and foremost to Christ alone. Everything takes its bearing from him. And in the network of our family and of our friends, When we participate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we're saying, I belong to Jesus and to Jesus alone. I pledge who I am to him and to him alone. And when you start to think about it that way, you start to realize why, you know, Paul, when he was teaching the church at Corinth, that was so divided and so self-centered and had become, it had become all about them that he wanted to remind them of what the Lord's Supper is all about. Now, in the same way as my uh, dear brother last Sunday gave you four marks uh, of a Christian church, I want just to simply give you from our passage this morning uh, four words that summarize for us 
uh, this institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm going to give Jonathan permission here. There's so much here, and I could be long, and I don't want to be overly long, so you're in charge. I've got no watch, mate. You nod your head, and I'll hit it, right? Uh, but the reality is, I, I want to give us four words. And the first word I want to give us is this little word, remembrance. Look what our Lord Jesus says. He says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I was just for a little while this morning to think uh, about the, the Lord's Supper as a remembrance. You know, one of the great things about the, the Lord's Supper, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the Lord's Supper. It is our Lord Jesus Christ who commands us to observe this. It is our Lord Jesus Christ uh, who calls into being, institutes this observation, and he says, as often as you do this, remember me. Isn't that beautiful? As often as you gather, and as you break the bread, and as you drink the cup, do it as a remembrance of me. You know, I, I think it's so precious and so powerful because don't you love to, to call to remembrance beautiful times with precious people? You know, I, I, I love to do that. I love just to reflect back and to recount and to recall the most beautiful times in life with precious people. And the Lord Jesus says, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And you'll notice that right at the start of the early church, you were there last week. In actual fact, they, they broke bread daily. So every day, right at the beginning of the church, they were regularly breaking bread and sharing together in a remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, by the time you get to Acts chapter 20, you can check this out for yourself, by the time you get to Acts chapter 20, it, it had moved from being daily to being weekly. And what they were doing is they were observing the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. But notice when they were doing it, they were doing it on the first day of the week. Now, my friends, I want you to think about that for a moment because you'd almost imagine that because of its, its direct connection with the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross, you would think that we'd observe it, you know, on the day of his death. But in actual fact, they're observing it on the resurrection day. Because in actual fact, the work of Jesus Christ is accomplished and applied, but it's remembered so beautifully in this institution of the Lord's Supper, in this remembrance feast that you and I are invited to participate in with glad and thankful hearts. And so that's why the Church of Jesus Christ in many, many places, has sought to follow that biblical example they can see being rolled out and observing weekly on the first day of the week a celebration of the Lord's Supper. And, of course, some places, uh, and they've done it with the very best intentions, have moved that out to, to monthly and others to uh, quarterly, but it's interesting in many of the places that do that, they, 
they place a great emphasis uh, upon just how remarkable this privilege is. But there, in the pages of Scripture in Acts chapter 20, uh, we find the Church of Jesus Christ participating in the early church uh, in remembering our Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper. Now, one of the beautiful things about it, and uh, isn't it good suddenly just to see a little video uh, that just throws up all sorts of little cartoon images that suddenly reminded you of great swaths of Scripture, right? Uh, it's visual. It's visual. It's, it's very tangible. Uh, and for you and I, you know, today, in our COVID-compliant world, right, uh, we'll break open uh, a, a little piece of bread uh, and a little individualized cup. Because I've got to be honest, I, I miss the communal cup. You know, by faith, I'd still drink from it, right? Uh, but the reality is, uh, you know, we, we, we'll break open uh, a little uh, bit of bread uh, and uh, a little cup of wine. We can see the bread. We can touch it. We can see the wine. We can touch it. And nothing happens to this bread and wine, unlike the Roman Catholic Church who would say that it must be, uh, you know, administered by a priest. We have one priest. He's the high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. And who say that the bread and the wine actually change into the body and blood of Christ. And to say that in actual fact the sacrifice has been reenacted over and over again. We don't believe any of that. We simply know this is bread and this is a cup. And the cup is full of wine or juice. And what it's doing is indicating for us the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's reminding us of the grace of God to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace is not coming through the bread and the wine. The grace comes to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, this serves as a little visual reminder to us of all that Jesus Christ has done. Remember me. And so in this beautiful, tangible way, we can remember the broken body, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the Lord Jesus, God himself, has been consistent in giving his people visual reminders, hasn't he? You know, you just look at that little video that Jonathan showed us there. And up comes Noah and the ark. And what's right across the, the ark but a rainbow? A sign of the promise of God. That's what it is, by the way. Don't believe the nonsense of our society today. The sign of the promise of God that he will not judge the earth in that way again. You think about the Passover meal. Again, it's a visual reminder of the deliverance of God of his people. The tabernacle, the temple, the reminder of the, the presence of God in the midst of his people. And the Lord Jesus Christ is so beautiful in that he gives us reminders, visual reminders, 
tangible reminders of all that he has done for us. I don't know about you, but uh, I love it when my grandchildren draw me pictures. Before I had grandchildren, the children of the church used to draw me pictures. And I used to have all these pictures up in my, uh, in my office wall that children in the church had drawn me. I had pictures of the Holy Spirit. You probably had no idea that you could draw the Holy Spirit. But with childlike faith, you can easily draw him. You know, children are great at that. I'm going to draw a picture of God. Don't be stupid. No one knows what God looks like. Well, he will do when I'm finished, right? That's children, isn't it? Yeah, they'll just give us a picture. But isn't it beautiful that our Lord Jesus Christ does that? He gives us this visual, tangible picture. Body broken, blood poured out. Nothing magical going on with that. But oh, the wonder of the imagery. The wonder of the picture. And really the truth is that this remembrance serves to remind you, to remind me, to remind all of us together about the reality of all that Jesus has accomplished and of all that Jesus has applied to your life and to mine. You know, I love that little phrase, all that Christ has accomplished and all that he has applied. You notice that you and I are completely missing from that. It's all that Christ has accomplished. It's all that Christ applies to our life. It's all his work of grace. And so in the Lord's Supper, we have a remembrance of Christ's death. In actual fact, in sharing together, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. In the Lord's Supper, we've got a participation together in all the benefits of the death of Jesus Christ that are applied to our life. You know the joy of forgiveness? It's the benefit of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the all-conquering King applying that to you and to me, calling us, into a relationship with himself, making us one in the body of Christ. No one more important than the other. All the benefits. Jesus himself, when he spoke in John chapter 6 about being the bread of life, you know, already began to teach us there in that imagery about what it is to be spiritually nourished. Spiritually nourished and built up. And here we are as the people of God, as we break bread and drink the cup together, nourished. E.F. Kevin said this so beautifully. He said, the Lord's Supper is a special means of grace, but it's not a means of special grace. And that's really important to get right. Because in many that would almost, in a sense, crucify our Lord Jesus Christ over and over again, they want to make the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, uh, a means of special grace. But in actual fact, what it does is it reminds us of the special means of grace in Christ. So we do this in remembrance of him.
Well, who does this in remembrance of him? Those who know him. See, my friend, the only reason the Church of Jesus Christ at times down through the history has guarded the table of the Lord is not to be exclusive. In actual fact, it's designed for those who know Jesus. And the great thing about that is it's not designed for those who know Jesus and think themselves worthy enough to eat and to drink. It's designed for those who know Jesus and know they themselves are not worthy to eat and to drink. So this is a meal for sinners. But sinners who have recognized their need of Christ. And they've got a devotion in their heart towards him. It's a sinner's response to the grace of God in Christ. Isn't it great? We come as sinners. You'll sometimes meet people, believers, Christians. They've been living as followers of Christ for a long time. And they think, oh, I just can't take the bread and the cup today. As if somehow or other... There's something amiss. If there's something amiss and you know it, that's a perfect reason to take the bread and the wine and to, in repentance and faith, put things right. But, you know, it's not only a remembrance. I want to give you the second word. I will move a little bit quicker as we go through this. But the second word here is covenant. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. You see, the reality about the Lord's Supper is the Lord's Supper is connected to Passover. That's the context in which it's given. And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so the context is our Lord Jesus Christ gathering for the Passover meal with his people. I uh, don't have time to unpack the whole of the process of Passover. But for those of you who have ever seen a Passover being displayed or demonstrated, you'll know that there were four cups and you'll know that the Lord Jesus Christ in actual fact is taking uh, the middle cup at the time, the cup of blessing, the third cup. In actual fact, when the, uh, the Passover lamb and the herbs were also eaten. And so there's this beautiful connection between all that's going on uh, there uh, with Passover. As the lamb was taken, as the cup of blessing was poured out. And of course, Passover was already that tangible sign of Uh, the covenant reality of God. And even there in our little illustration with the children, covenant made with Abraham, children of the promise, you know, the covenant given, but of course a covenant fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and those who are children of God by faith. And so again, uh, we see this link Uh, with the old covenant, as it's known, uh, of God with Abraham and the new covenant with God in Christ 
And again, Passover all wrapped up with the deliverance of the people of God and our Lord Jesus Christ as he shares that Passover meal with his followers, looking towards his own sacrifice on Calvary's cross and the deliverance that would be for all who by faith in Christ put their trust in him. It's all about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. And the new covenant, of course, is all about the grace of God to us in Christ. And its purpose is to forgive and to reconcile us to God the Father. To restore us to himself. All the fullness of salvation comes to us in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when in the language of covenant, it used to be a covenant between two parties and both parties would have to enter into it. We know the uniqueness of the new covenant in Christ, that it is all an act of God on our behalf. God is the one who promises to be true, who promises to be faithful to his covenant. And so, my friends, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, it's the new covenant in my blood, he was inviting us into table fellowship with himself. He was inviting us to come and enjoy him. He was inviting us to come and to be with him. The new covenant of God. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, we've got to keep pressing on. But I want you to notice, in the context of our passage, uh, that it was a gathering of the early disciples. It was a gathering of those who, in a little while, would be anointed by the Holy Spirit and who with boldness would proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, and who would be the founding apostles in the church of Jesus Christ. And so the place for the Lord's Supper is in the gathering. It's in the church. It's in the fellowship. It's in the gathered people of God. When we talk about it as communion, we actually mean communion with God and with one another. And that's our third word. It's in the gathering. It's in the fellowship. It's in what uh, the New Testament calls the ecclesia. You see, as you and I commune, we commune in, in an upward direction with God himself and Christ, but we commune on the horizontal level with one another. There's a unity when the people of God gather together and take the bread and drink the cup. There's a togetherness. When Paul was writing to that church in Corinth, he was reminding them that they ought to be united, that they ought to be together as they break this bread. Some were rushing ahead. You should be together. That's why often in taking the bread and wine, we'll say, let's eat 
the bread, but let's make sure that we wait for one another and that we drink the cup, because this is a sign of our unity in Christ. This is a sign that no one is more important than another. And interestingly enough, those of us who sometimes think somebody thinks they're more important than someone else, we better look in at ourselves because we're probably guilty of the very same thing. But the reality is that this is a communion of the saints. This is a coming together to remember he who died for us. This is a coming together to jointly participate in all the blessing and all the benefit of God and Christ. This is a coming together united with our brothers and sisters to receive the nourishment that the Lord's Supper brings. And to do that with thanksgiving, to do that with joy. You know, this is something we ought always to observe together. Now that's why, through the course of a pandemic, there's been great confusion and frustration and misunderstanding amongst the people of God over this. Because biblically, it says we ought to come together. And that's why folks just staying true to a straight biblical line would say that it ought always only to be when the church gathers. And there's been that great confusion then about what you do when the church cannot gather. But you see, when the Lord Jesus Christ was initiating the Lord's Supper, what he's doing as he breaks bread, as he drinks the cup with his disciples, the disciples who become the apostles, who by the power of the Spirit of God will become the fathers of the church, he's actually anticipating the church. That's what our Lord Jesus is doing. He knows. They don't know, but he knows there's a day coming when all over the world the church of Jesus Christ will gather together and they'll take bread and they'll drink. Have you ever thought about that? That when we take bread and drink the cup, yes, we're together, but all over the globe. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord's Supper anticipated it. Of course, he knew. He would, wouldn't he? Right? He knew. But here are the disciples. And Jesus anticipated the gathering of the church. Paul, again in Corinth, wanted to make sure that people didn't think about it in an individualistic, me and mine way. He said, it's the body. It's the gathering. It's a joint act. We take it as one people, united in Christ. And so that's been... Uh, the regular understanding. And it's little surprise and it's no great criticism that through the course of a pandemic, many have struggled with how do you observe that which you can't observe when you cannot be together? And it's been a real struggle. And some folks have thought, can we not just do that on our own? But again, you know, that, that's not in the gathering of the body and the discipline of the church and, and everything else. And it creates all sorts of problems. 
Because there's one little exception that's there in Scripture. And that is for those who are bedridden. But you notice what it says. Those who are bedridden. You know, those who are sick. And then, can I say, it's not about one priest going and breaking bread and wine. I was always very uncomfortable with that as a lead pastor of a church when I get given the little communion set, you know, for me to take. And what I was uncomfortable with was, this is not just about me. This should really be about me and two or three members of the church going for the body of Christ together. For the body of Christ. You know, one of the, the joys that we would do at uh, Calderwood, where I, I was a lead pastor for the last 17 and a half years, is we used to, we used to celebrate the, the, the Lord's Supper uh, in the morning just as part of the service, but we would also have an evening celebration from time to time. And you know what we did in the evening celebration, and I loved it. We used to put the communion table right in the middle of the church. And we used to set the chairs up all the way around the table. Four directions. It's always great fun for the preacher, you know, having to rotate as he tried to speak, right? But you know the joy of it? The joy of it sitting in that way was that there was a real sense of us all being one in Christ. There was a real sense of us all being utterly, equally dependent upon Christ. There was a real sense in which all of us could look and say, this is not about us. This is about our Lord Jesus Christ, and he has called us into one body. And when we break bread and drink the cup, we do so as the body of Christ. And of course, where? Does a person learn to be holy, but in the body of Christ? Where does a person learn to examine themselves, but in the body of Christ? You know, I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to keep me on the straight and narrow path. I need them to be praying. I need them to be speaking God's word into my heart and life. I need them to bring me words of encouragement and words of abuse. If need be, I don't mean abuse in the sense that they're abusing me, but words that are challenging me, words that are challenging, words that are exhortation words, words that are words that are designed to pull me up if I'm going astray. Not abuse for abuse's sake, never that. But there in the gathering, the body of Christ remembers, celebrates, gives thanks in the communion of the people of God. And so the regular normal practice ought always to be in the gathering of the people of Christ. And there are many who tried to work irregular, extraordinary practices. And it wasn't easy. And I long for the day, I've said it before, when the road to Damascus sets in and we all come in here with unveiled faces and we all sit close and we all glorify God together and we break bread and we drink the cup. What a final little thing. Look what our Lord Jesus Christ says. I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
You see, it's pointing to something, isn't it, my friends? It's pointing to the future hope there is the believers. Never tire of giving a reason for the hope there is within you. And it's pointing. It looks not only to the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it looks to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it does. It's pointing to the marriage feast of the Lamb. What did Jesus say? And remember, who's going to be at the marriage feast of the Lamb? The church of Jesus Christ, his bride. Keep the context of why it's so important to be together. You know, the reality is, you and I are going to be there, but we're not really going to be there as the individuals that we are, although individually we will be there, right? But we're going to be there as the bride of Christ. We're going to be there as part of the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I don't know if you sing it, right? But I, 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 I really struggle. You know that song, and thought of me above all, I, I really struggle with that song. Right? Because I don't think Jesus Christ thought of me above all. I think Jesus Christ thought about his glory and the ransomed souls of countless millions gathered together in the church of Jesus Christ for the marriage feast of the Lamb. The fact that I get to be amongst that amazes me, right? (laughs) That ought to amaze you, the fact that I get to be amongst that, right? But at the end of the day, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be the marriage feast of the Lamb, the Bride of Christ. Sometimes when we struggle with our brothers and sisters, we should think about what we're struggling with because they're part of the Bride of Christ. And so this Lord's Supper is a celebration of the first and second comings of our Lord Jesus Christ. He awaits that day when I'll share it again together with the ransomed in glory. So when you and I eat and drink, we eat and drink anticipating, observing his return. You know, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we truly believe that he's coming? Do we truly live our lives in the light of his coming? Is there an energy and an edge about our evangelism because we're expecting the return of our Lord Jesus Christ at any time? So how ought we to live? We ought to live holy lives that glorify and magnify God. That's why we examine ourselves. But we ought to live all of life for the glory of God. There's a very real sense in which the Lord's Supper is an invitation to know God, to worship God, and to enjoy Him forever. And so we're just peeling back some of the things we see here in Luke. Do it in remembrance of me. It's a new covenant. It's a gathered people. It's looking towards the hope of the ransomed people of God in Christ. You're looking forward to that day. 
You know, I want to close just with a, a little illustration and then we'll pray. And as we pray, we'll actually uh, pray and prepare uh, just to take the bread and to share the cup with one another. I, uh, I was blessed to have a granny who came from the Highlands. You know what that means? That means a meal's no a meal without a potato. That means, particularly if you were a guy, you needed feeding, even if you didn't need feeding. But she died when she was 93, and I still recall, remember, with great fondness, her table spread. Oh, my friends, I wish I could take you all there for lunch. There would have been enough. You know? I just remember everything made from scratch. Nothing from a packet. In fact, if you were sitting at the table and said, is there any? She would go and make you it from scratch. None of this pulling a tub out the fridge. And you used to sit there. Oh, the feast. The feast. And our Lord Jesus Christ sharing Passover with his disciples. Sharing that feast of the deliverance of God. Turns and breaks the bread. In the midst of the reflection and the sacrificial lamb takes the cup of blessing and says, this is the new covenant. I am your sacrificial lamb. I am the one whose blood will be poured out. You see, when Jeremiah talked about the new covenant, it needed the blood of Christ. I am the one who will write my word upon your hearts. Come and remember. Come and eat. Come as the people of God. Look towards that day when we'll gather at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And my friends, I know that the finest feast I can think of will pale in comparison to that day. And week by week, you and I are nourished, nourished, fed, as we think about these things. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the simplicity of that which he initiated in the Lord's Supper. We thank you for the bread that speaks of his body broken for us. We thank you for the cup that speaks of the new covenant of his blood. We thank you that what we do today is a remembrance
what we do today is the most beautiful picture of your grace to us in Christ. What we do today, we do together as part of the redeemed family of God throughout the world. And what we do today points to another day, still to come, when we will gather on eternal shores for the marriage feast of the Lamb. Our gracious Father, as we hear your word, as we take and eat together this day, may we do so with glad and thankful hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.